As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrow and Lisa Abramowitz. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance On Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. Henrietta Trays with us right now, Director of Economic Policy Research Veta Partners, but uh, far more political economic policy as well. When an election starts 560 days out, Henrietta, what's the gridlock look like? What is the new gridlock after the election is engaged? Uh, the new gridlock is basically we get this debt ceiling past us, um, hopefully in the next month or two, and then we move pretty much exclusively to China. Um, and there will be a focus on trying to craft a bipartisan bill, um, any attempt to differentiate uh, the Republicans from the Democrats on that front. And I suspect they'll both be jawboning about what could come on the China front, um, including tariffs, investment restrictions heading into right. um, seven. That's what will be. So that'll be the legislative debate. But does China fold into election results? The maxim I've always uh, heard is that domestic issues are far more important in an election dash. Does China play into the election dash? I think so. Uh, you have nearly 80 percent of the U.S. population who believes that China is something of an enemy to the United States. So it's a very popular boogeyman. I think you have to question what the underlying macroeconomic data is going to look like. What's unemployment? You know, if it's still in the three and a half, even four percent range, it's not going to be that striking topic like it has been in years past. And we're at eight, nine, 10 percent. Um, if inflation has come down and it similarly is not in the eight, nine, 10 percent range, you're going to have an opportunity to focus on foreign policy uh, because domestic politics or domestic economic policy data will have uh, a cooler temperature. It won't be big enough to occupy headlines every single day. So you can have an opening for China to be a conversation. A lot of shift right now when it comes to geopolitics, a lot of shift when it comes to economics, and there's not a lot of shift when it comes to the most likely matchup for the 2024 election. It is President Biden. He is in the running. That is what he said earlier this morning with the official announcement and former President Trump. This is the likely matchup. What does that say to you that it's the two known entities going at it again? You know, it's really interesting. I'm trying to find a great way to say this, but as an analyst, you know, we're always looking for some sort of nuance or edge uh, to share with clients and help them have a little bit of extra juice going into any kind of a big event like this. But realistically, we have a pretty solid run rate to work with. Democrats uh, won the midterm elections in 2018 by an overwhelming majority. Uh, Democrats won the 2020 presidential election, picking up Arizona and Nevada. 
um, Georgia even. We won the um, special elections in Georgia twice. And then in 2022, ran in a super high inflationary environment coming out of the pandemic in a race that Democrats had no business winning. And the minority party lost in the most epic blowout since the 1930s. So it's really difficult to try to find a rationale for not knowing the outcome of the 2024 presidential election cycle. We've seen this fight literally four times now. Um, and at each at each one ends the same way. So it's difficult to find a way to explain or convince anybody, including my own brain, about how you could see Republicans win in this environment with the same candidate. How much is this Democrats winning and how much is this Republicans losing with respect to uh, where the balance of power is in that party? I, I would definitely look at the key states. I mean, all our clients know, and y'all know, it doesn't matter what the national data is. Um, it's really about key states on the Electoral College. So look at Arizona, look at Pennsylvania. I um, mean, those states, Joe Biden is ahead by four points, one point. Um, and that's that's the outcome of the cycle. So you might have some scenarios where certain states are mm-hmm. going more, more aggressively for Trump, uh, but mostly it's going to be a national referendum mm-hmm. in key states against the... Uh, Republican caucus and their uh, policies. Henry, and I've brought up twice today a question of progressives or liberals within the Democratic Party. I mean, in the Republican concept, there's this idea Republican in name only. Is Joe Biden a Democrat in name only? Um, I think that if you were to pull a Bernie Sanders or some of his uh, supporters, they would say things along those lines. But it's really difficult to look at the track record and see a $1.9 trillion CARES Act bill passed in the first month of his administration, the CHIPS Act, which was bipartisan, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, and then the Inflation Reduction Act. There is establishment, Democratic, uh, you know, Democratic in name only agenda items like CHIPS and the But then there's also those progressive items, green energy tax credits that are very expansive. Um, And then obviously the one point nine trillion dollar COVID relief bill, uh, which had a lot of progressive agenda items in there. So you can make cases. Thank you so much. Henrietta Trace, director of economic policy, Veda Partners there. We have a wonderful guest with it that John's going to bring in. But, you know, John, it's going to be important. Newberger Berman is going to focus today on the 4 p.m. earnings, Thursday on the 4 p.m. earnings. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, every set there will be shifted from financial media over to Manchester City Arsenal. Are you it, saying that Charles Cantor won't be watching he meta earnings? He will not be watching meta earnings uh, tomorrow. How big a game is that tomorrow that's going to distract this, Global Wall Street? We call this a six-pointer, don't we, Charles? Epic. It's a six-pointer. How big is this for Arsenal, for the Gunners? It's huge. I was at Highbury when I was four. Um, so I have a Were key you really? Lead. I really was. My dad was teaching at the London School of Economics, and he dragged me along to Highbury. And um, I'm super excited about Wednesday. So we'll have the three Broombrook screens going, and one will have the match on, and the rest will have <laughs> meta earnings. I had to say to Tom on Friday, when they were throwing the game against Southampton away, I said to Tom, you need to understand the phrase bottling it. Are they bottling it? They choke in a little. Um, it's tough to lead the whole year from the front, and um, th- it's been remarkable. And we'll it, we'll know tomorrow. We'll know tomorrow. Top of the league, Arsenal going up against Manchester City, the top two, the face down tomorrow. So you mm. won't be watching Meta earnings. I imagine you'll be looking at Google and Microsoft a little bit later. These tech names have had massive moves here today. Lisa talked about Meta up something like seventy to eighty percent so far in twenty twenty three. Are you expecting the numbers to validate the moves? Uh, for, for, I think the two stories this afternoon will be a little different. Microsoft's going to be all about 
Azure and the enterprise slowing, um, and uh, the, the large enterprise companies have have all kind of looked at their cloud spend and decided to rationalize a little bit. Um, but then on Microsoft, it's 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 going to be telling the long long term story around um, open AI and their forty nine percent investment there. We've done the math on on some of that. The math's not easy. Op, you know, the AI market will be over a trillion dollar market in by 2030 and, and Microsoft's magnificently positioned there and um, can add at least maybe 20% to their to, to their top line over the next five to six years. So I think Microsoft is going to be, uh, you're going to look through the valley to the to the next peak, so to speak, kind of ignore the shorter term headwinds and and focus more on the longer term opportunity. Where Google, I think it's, it's they haven't provided the sizzle that Microsoft has as it relates to open AI. So I think there we're looking for a lot of clarity around their longer term strategy. I think they magnificently positioned there as well. Um, but unlike Microsoft, we're going to be thinking through um, efficiency and optimization as it relates to their to their cost structure. They, they sell at two vastly different valuations. The point I'd make maybe more generally about technology that maybe sometimes gets gets lost the by and large the resiliency you've seen in earnings out of the out of the index so to speak is because these businesses have magnificent income statement flexibility and um, the challenge with the financial companies is they they don't have income statement flexibility they are tied by their balance sheets and so i am quite optimistic that the very large index contributors will will deliver earnings that are of high quality um, and they're protecting they're protecting their cash flows this year the market shifted as you know from revenue to what matters which is cash in the bank which they have magnificently displayed will open AI be the new blockchain I mean basically have we already fully priced in just saying chat GPT and then seeing your stock soar I, I don't think we have and I certainly haven't in Microsoft and we certainly haven't at Google because Google sells at 10 times EV to enterprise value. That That is not a valuation that suggests a lot of good news is priced in. I like the analogy to the to, to blockchain. We think the, the efficiency opportunity for people that adopt AI is, is 2x on the margin line relative to the blockchain. Mm -hmm. So we're talking, if you thought blockchain was a, was a 200 basis points improvement to efficiency for companies adopting it, we think, Open AI is probably 500 basis points. Think through the efficiency of that and think through the productivity. I want to focus on your courage to own a few things, own a big. You were down, I believe, 24% last year in one portfolio. Yep. Maybe that was a little worse than others because you had big tech owning. I want to talk about the street focus on that these stocks are too big, too dominant, and people are diversifying away. Peter Lynch called it diversification. In general, are people diversifying away where they should own more of big tech? It's it's a it's a big question we have. The the growth strategy, um, a large cap growth strategy that was down twenty four percent last year. We felt great relative to the large cap growth indices. I think it proved out the high quality defensive right. nature of how we. You know, proceed with growth. I think I gave you the analogy with 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 Microsoft. Here's a company that can add um, you know twenty to thirty billion dollars to their revenues over the next five years, and they're running at two hundred billion dollars of revenue today. Um, I don't know many companies that that can operate at that scale with that type of opportunity. And I think when you think through 
when you think through Google, the challenge there is going to be can it's a little bit of the innovators' dilemma. Can they can they um, understand the threat that AI provides to their core search business, which is kind of a 92% monopoly business, while capturing the opportunity of AI. Not different to how Netflix kind of attacked themselves as they went from you know, physical delivery of content to digital. Um, and and you've, got to, you've got to factor in valuation. Look, in this environment, um, I think you've got to quality up. You got to own income statement flexibility. You got to be mindful of the balance sheet, and you got to own businesses that, if the tide was to go out, you feel really good about their next three to five year positioning. and And I think you just find that today in the large companies that are that are going to be massive beneficiaries of all the compute spend that's going to take place with AI. Microsoft's magnificently positioned. So is Google. So is Amazon. So is um, Meta. These folks own the largest computers in the world, and they're going to rent them out to everyone else, and everyone else is going to enjoy a 500 basis point margin improvement over time. And that's going to be very good for, for, for the economy. It's going to come with lots of headwinds, no doubt. Um, lots of regulatory scrutiny for sure, but 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 net net it's a, it's 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 massive. I didn't hear LVMH or MS up in quality. That's all we're hearing about Europe, luxury players, yeah. all of that good stuff. I mean, why are you not there? I think I mean we we're not there necessarily with that specific wonderful high end retailer. My wife's there um, in <laughs> spades. Sure. Sure. In spades, um, we were recently in Europe and. Um, there is a currency hedge, so to, you know, currency <laughs> arbitrage, so to speak. So I'm familiar with the power of that brand. They built a remarkable company. They've got to go through a, you know, they've got to figure out which of the five favorite kids are, are going to run, sure. run the show. But I think this morning from Pepsi and McDonald's, you saw what quality and innovation and convenience and value delivers to, to the Only consumer. Only Charles Cantor can segue from Lewis Vuitton to, to sell McDonald's. The other half, Pepsi and McDonald's. <laughs> I know luck. less about McDonald's right as a consumer. Quality from both, all of that, right? But it's just quality. And, and yeah. so... <laughs> yeah, LVMH, McDonald's. In the, it, it, it's a function of who the consumer is. I mean, the consumer yeah. at McDonald's sees tremendous value, as does, as does the LVMH customer in a different way. You were acclaimed on Whole Foods Foods, Amazon. Whole Foods is now thrown in the towel. They're going to go low price, lower price. Is it going to work? I don't know if they're going to do that precisely. Um, in your honor, I was back there on, on Saturday just buying a few things for dinner. Um, look, they have made wholesome food affordable um, for all of America. You know, what gets lost with, with Amazon is they now have relationships with 3,000 local producers. That's way up from when Whole Foods was a standalone company. And yeah. if you're a prime member, right. you're getting value with so Whole Foods. So you were Dior to uh, I don't Whole know about Foods. you, but when I go into Whole Foods to get dinner, I could have bought an MS scarf, given how expensive they are. It's not perfectly cheap but it hasn't sure. it hasn't come down that That's much kind. relative yeah. to I've got when 15 it was. seconds you pay for quality do you miss Highbury I do miss Highbury and I haven't yet been to Emirates so I've been to the Emirates a couple of times uh, and my guess is the seating at at the Emirates is a little Probably bit nice more comfortable than Highbury Tom, those old stadiums I think of Fenway and Boston yeah Wrigley you know just the romance of it it's great. I wish they'd kept them. Maybe Charles Cantor can talk to Mr. Levy. Cantor's got, you know, Cantor's I'm got the mask to help Tottenham. Parachute in and, parachute in and run consult. Spurs. I'm not sure Spurs are quality. 
right now, Tom. Yeah, yeah, well, that's Charles a big Cantor, debate. Thank you, sir. Evan Great Newberg to see everyone. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Right now in banking and surely expert on this, Christopher Marinak joins us, Director of Research, Jenny Montgomery Scott, Philadelphia, and in Atlanta uh, this morning. Christopher, you know, you and I do the same thing. We get the Kiefer uh, Bank Index out of 22 banks, and it's real simple. With the latest tobacco, they're priced back to 1998. How many others are there like FRC? Do you, do you look at them as a discrete disaster, or is there enough of them out there to affect there's something like the 22 banks and the KBW index. I, I think First Republic stands on its own, Tom. I really think that this is a, it's a once uh, opportunity. Unfortunately, that was hit by friendly fire, and they have uh, really struggled clearly for the quarter. Deposits worse than, uh, than than we thought, as you said. I think the conference call did not go well. I think the market didn't like the lack of questions, and I think there's real changes right. the company has to make. Answer is combinations. We've, you know, the basic theme we've had is 4,000 banks, whether it's 22 larger regionals or not. When do we start to see the mergers that are just have to come? Well, for First Republic, it could happen very soon. I mean, they need to do something. They either need to strengthen the balance sheet or they need to find a buyer. Um, they're going to have to raise capital either way. So if they sell the company, that avoids that. But they're going to have to take action as soon as today. I'm not sure they can wait a whole lot longer. Christopher, who would want to buy a firm like this when they can get the deposits some other way and they're taking all the liabilities? Well, there could be the attitude that you want the um, wealth management business and the clients that they have, even though they did lose advisors uh, precipitously towards the end of March and also here in April. I think trying to get that business uh, would be very attractive to a Goldman Sachs, to Morgan Stanley, to perhaps even J.P. Morgan. You'd have to have some regulatory relief if you're J.P.M. Uh, to get that done from an asset perspective. But it's not impossible. But certainly, I think the wealth management business would be the ticket that would be most attractive here. I was struck this morning, Christopher, when I came in, that all the other regional banks are being punished as well. It's not just First Republic. It's even those that have reported earnings and came in better than people feared, whether it was Western Alliance, whether it was Zions, whether it was any of the others. Still, they are lower. What does that tell you about what is going on there, but also more broadly about sentiment? Well, banks are leveraged vehicles. They work off of trust. And I think the confidence and trust has slipped with the First Republic news. And I think we just have to get through this air pocket today and this week. Um, most of these companies are very strong on capital. They have liquidity. They simply have question marks with the confidence given the deposit run that happened in the system in March. And so we're still kind of working through that. Think of it as a flu and the patient's not completely healed yet. 
I do think that banks have to consider raising capital just to show that they can. It would be a sign of confidence. Um, that, to me, is where this ultimately goes. Maybe we're another six or eight weeks away from that, but I think that's the answer uh, to the problem. Christopher, I think we've all forgotten that this happened at the very end of the first quarter in the month of March, and I'm trying to work out what that might mean for profits coming forward from here, Q2, Q3, Q4. What do you think that's going to look like? So for First Republic, I think it's a break even at best, because if you reset their um, funding costs again in the second quarter, it definitely takes away a lot of the profitability. We also think they have to shrink the balance sheet, and that obviously hurts the revenue side. If you sell securities, sell loans, et cetera, and then capital, of course, comes under pressure as you're going to have to sell those assets at a loss. So that definitely puts pressure on the revenue uh, line and the earnings for sure. But I think there's a case for the company to break even. It's just a challenge to execute. And I think the, the thing that we worry about is that this is a company that has been a growth-oriented company, not one managed for profitability. They haven't had a quarter above a 1% ROA since 2016. It's just not been in their DNA. They've been a growth-oriented bank. And it's a, uh, it's a very hard pivot for them to do. Does that mean they need new leadership? Not sure about the leadership. I think it's a change in mindset. I think that they can do this if they change from a growth company to a profit company and make that immediate. I don't think it's impossible, but it is a mindset change that would be relatively big in their history. Well, it's a mindset change Tom forced on them uh, Mar- after the events Mar- of the last is outstanding. few weeks. I, I, you know, I'm thinking, John, of a, the Charles Dickens novel, 1830 England, where you, banks were not growth vehicles. <laughs> it's just, I'm not just sure the regulator simple. wanted banks to be growth vehicles I, anyway. I, 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 put, Lisa, get out the surveillance cork. I'm going to need it to protect the innocent here. I, I think it's... it's it, it, I, what I would say is the zombies are going to get rolled up. How many first republics are out there is an important question. I've seen people refer to this bank as a zombie I'm not, after the results no. yesterday. Chris, thanks for that. Good to catch up. Christopher Maranak there of Jenny Montgomery Scott. As we lean forward with Charles Cantor here of Newberger Berman, we do better with RBC Capital Markets, Rishi Jaluria. Now, he's a software equity analyst. Forget about it. Expert on Microsoft. Here we go, folks, on the big stock you don't own. Rishi, 26% per year total return over the last 10 years. The free cash flow blowout pre-pandemic is absolutely stunning. I mean, the cash flow growth out five years to a model 2024 is off the chart. Is the story priced into the stock now, or will there be constructive surprises forward? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, you know, I think the, the big story around Microsoft, is, if we put maybe the near-term macro aside, is really AI. And, and as we've outlined, we really think the opportunity with generative AI for Microsoft is a call option on the stock. It is not priced in today. Uh, we, we actually need to make money on Microsoft stock absent any AI story. But really, that's where you right. get the next leg of growth up. And, and, and I do not think that's priced in. You know, if you think about all the different ways throughout Microsoft's portfolio that can that it can benefit from uh, generative AI, be it in, in Azure from their agreement with OpenAI, 
be it uh, competitively uh, with the Microsoft 365 suite and, and the integration of Copilot throughout, be it in their security, be it in, in GitHub. I think there's so many ways Microsoft can benefit from generative AI, and I think right. that's the next leg of growth up here. Arisha, I want to go to that. Okay, the free cash flow numbers, folks, is $38 billion pre-pandemic, and they went out to $73 billion, modeled out for 224. That's the existing company with 200,000 employees. Rishi, explain how AI is different than other new things, the, br the bright, shiny new concept, and that it's a call option on Microsoft that has real durability. Yeah, I mean, I look, this is a the the, the fourth big technological change in, in, in my lifetime, right? Going back to you, the internet, going back to uh, mobility, the cloud, and, and now AI. And, you know, I know we've been talking about AI for so long, but ChatGPT was that watershed moment that gets AI widespread throughout the ecosystem. This is like when Netscape for the internet came out or, or, or the iPhone for mobility. Um, and that is where we really think this has so much potential, not just for, for revenue, but but to your point on, on the bottom line for free cash flow uh, for Microsoft, that we can see that number continue to move up. And because of Microsoft's first mover advantage because of how far ahead of others OpenAI is and because of how quickly every other company is having to move to have a generative AI strategy, we believe Microsoft will be an outsized beneficiary of that. And, and if you look out throughout the entire portfolio of Microsoft's products, um, all the growth rates will be significantly different. Everyone's going to be talking about Azure growth rates. And, and you know, it, it seeming, it's realistic to me that that's going to decelerate to probably 20% growth over the coming quarters. But if, once you start layering in the benefits from generative AI, uh, because this is so much more resource intensive, um, not to mention you'll probably have an entire trillion dollar economy built on uh, open AI, just like you had a trillion dollar economy with the iPhone and a trillion dollar economy with AWS. I think that Azure number goes back above 30% growth. Rishi, how much smaller can some of these uh, big tech companies be on a headcount level based on some of the efficiencies that everyone keeps talking about with artificial intelligence? Yeah, I, th I think that's a great question. I would say, you know, number one for Microsoft, I, I think in contrast to a lot of the other big tech, they didn't overhire at the same rate. I know they they have done a riff. Uh, some of that was was eliminating underperforming employees. Some of that was was actual cost savings and reallocating of employees. But I'd say Microsoft maybe had more responsible hiring practices and a lot of other big tech companies that have had to do significantly bigger riffs. Um, and if you benchmark their employee efficiency relative to other companies' enterprise software, they're, they're, they were very high even prior to the riff. Um, now, in terms of the cost savings from generative AI, I think that's a big open-ended question. Um, you know, we, we can talk about innovation and, and what generative AI brings there, but there is also, it, it, it makes developers significantly more effective. It makes marketers more effective, salespeople more effective. And I wouldn't be surprised if we could see uh, a company be able to get away with significantly lower headcount. I'm talking double digit, right? 10% plus lower headcount uh, as a result of really embracing and leveraging generative AI on the back end. And, um, you know, that's maybe more of a three-year story than, than a near-term one. But absolutely, every company I'm, I, I talk to is trying to use generative AI for greater operational efficiency. efficiency. And then I think the terminal margins across enterprise software and really across big tech has to be higher long-term now because of this. Just real quick here, who's going to win the generative AI game? Will it be Google or will it be Microsoft? 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's early to tell, but I think Microsoft has such a huge lead uh, from their early investment in OpenAI, from the fact that OpenAI is an arm's length transaction. You look at the advantages you have in ChatGPT versus all the other systems out there, including uh, Bard and Claude and, and, and any others that have been out there. I think Microsoft has a huge advantage that it's theirs to lose. Rishi, great to get your perspective on a key story a little bit later on this afternoon. Rishi Deluri there of RBC. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Joining us now, the gentleman from Auburn, Paul Jacobson, joins us, Chief Financial Officer at General uh, Motors. Paul, you drive the Hummer EV. It clocks in at $85,000, marked up to the proper Paul Jacobson level. It's maybe, oh, $195,000, whatever it is. The answer is you boosted the range on a 9,000-pound vehicle. Does America want that? Is there real demonstrable evidence that broad America wants to drive EV? Well, good morning, Tom and, and, and Lisa and John. Thanks so, so, so much for having me. First of all, let me say thanks to, uh, to the GM team for an excellent quarter and uh, the confidence that we have going into the year. You know, when we're, when we're looking at EVs, you know, we, we have really strong demand for everything that we've produced so far. And, and when you look at the, uh, the order backlogs and the ramp up of uh, cell capacity, we feel good about our ability to ratchet up production to meet that demand. But, you know, consumers are speaking uh, with their commitments to us. And, uh, and we feel good about the products and the, the vehicles right. that we're producing. The Hummer EV is just a, it's a great vehicle engineered by our team. Here and, we go. Uh, and customers can't get it fast enough. Uh, you know, I, I look at this, Paul, and it is unit and price. Mr. Musk is playing with price, it seems like, on a weekly basis at Tesla. How do, I was talking to our David Welch in Detroit. It's real simple. How do you adapt to Tesla's price strategy? Is it something you react to? Is it something you ignore? So we've, we've actually been very consistent with our pricing on our EVs, and that's really a function of the demand that we've seen um, for them. So, um, you know, there's been a lot of industry noise around pricing um, all across the world, and it's something that uh, we've been very consistent with, uh, with our strategy, and it's one that consumers are responding to. Over the long term, obviously, we've got a competitor that is uh, posting really strong results, really strong margins. We need to make sure that we lower our costs, especially our structural costs, and we're aggressively getting after that. We announced a $2 billion program. Uh, today, we're talking about being at the high end of that range um, in 2023, getting uh, about a billion dollars out uh, this year with the other billion to follow next year. 
And it's just the first step in the process of making sure that we're competitive for the next generation. Does cost savings means lay mean layoffs? Um, we're actually not doing any layoffs, Lisa. So we, uh, at the end of the day, we had a voluntary severance program. We had over 5,000 of our um, colleagues uh, opt either to retire or to, to move on. And uh, that, that alone is going to save us about a billion dollars in the run rate. And that's something that we think we can uh, manage through and, and hit our goals on our $2 billion program. You reported uh, full-year expectations, Paul, that exceeded uh, what a lot of people were anticipating. How much does this hinge on North America and not on China? How much is this completely independent of an international story and very much U.S.-focused? Well, the, the, the bulk of our business is obviously in our North America segment, and we had a really strong quarter there. Uh, pricing is, is still up as, uh, as we see wholesale prices are still lapping the increases we had last year that we put through as a result of the higher input costs, uh, and demand still remains strong. So our, our volumes were up about 4%. Um, our inventories were flat, and I think the team's doing a very good job of managing through that. Um, we've, we've planned for the year, and we, we alluded to this in our guidance at the beginning of the year, that we were assuming a 15 million uh, unit uh, market uh, here in the U.S., and uh, we came in slightly above that. Uh, but, you know, we've got some cushion built in in case we see um, demand start to fall off uh, in our expectations. But when you look at our first quarter outperformance uh, and the confidence of our cost reduction plan, uh, we felt comfortable raising the guide. Now, China, obviously yeah. very competitive. They're still coming out of, uh, coming out of COVID, and uh, we see demand recovering, but it's also an incredibly competitive market. The team there has done a great job. Uh, we were able to maintain profitability in Q1, um, but we think second quarter is going to be a little bit challenging, and then we start to see some improvement in the back half of the year. Given how exposed you are to the U.S. market, Paul, what is your concern level in terms of tightening credit? We talk all about smaller banks and restricting uh, credit on the margins, in particular when it comes to auto lending. Are you seeing that already? How aware are you of that? We, we haven't seen that affecting our consumers and our customers. Um, and, uh, you know, we obviously have a captive financing arm through GM Financial. Um, their credit statistics, we look at them uh, every week, and uh, they're, still, um, they're still quite strong. Uh, we've seen a little bit of normalization, but uh, really back to kind of pre-COVID levels, but nothing that we've seen uh, that gives us any area of concern right now for our consumers. Paul, you've got a familiarity with Auburn, Alabama. And I see in Auburn there's 62 public charging stations, but only six are free EV charging stations. Does General Motors have to provide leadership and set up a grid of electric charging stations across America? So this is an area that we, we got out to an early start on, Tom, as we started to build out that network. And we think it's an important uh, piece for EV adoption uh, across the country for sure. Uh, but we committed about $750 million to a multi-pronged charging strategy. Uh, the leading piece of it was a, a partnership with Pilot Flying J to help increase the uh, interstate system for road trip charging across the board. Um, but we also partner with our dealers in local communities uh, to locate chargers for, the, for those uh, families that may not have one in their home. 
Uh, and really, we, we, we feel like we need to provide solutions for, for everyone across the board. But you know, paid charging is actually something that uh, that's, uh, I've found is far more economical than, uh, than even filling up your car with gas. So it's something that uh, ultimately we're committed to. What are you going to do on the dividend? I'm absolutely fa- I've, I've, I've been talking about use of cash right now. i got a gross yield of 1%. I'm not even sure what dividend growth is. Describe the five-year dividend growth forward for General Motors. So we, we look at our dividend as an important part of our capital allocation um, uh, priorities. Uh, you know, the first one is obviously investing in the business. We have a lot of capital uh, that, uh, that we are um, investing for the, for the transformation, 11 to $13 billion this year uh, alone. Um, but we're still generating really sizable amounts of free cash, and that's a testament to both the team as well as the demand for our products across the board. Um, this past quarter, we repurchased about $365 million of stock while also uh, early retiring $1.5 billion of debt. So taking care of the balance sheet, being uh, prudent with our capital across the board, and a dividend is a part of that. Uh, but uh, we also uh, are actively using share repurchases as a tool to return capital to shareholders. Have you noticed how much more comfortable CFOs are, Tom, when they beat and race? <laughs> yeah. Have you noticed that? It's just, Everything's it's, it's just, just calmer. His, his voice changes. It's just I mean, okay. It's, just, it's calmer. Yeah, it's calmer. Yeah. It's calmer. Paul Jacobson, thank it's you, sir. It's a better day for sure. For sure. General Motors, <laughs> CFO. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.